Well, we've just prayed. Let me read Exodus chapter 16. And uh, you see the words on the screen uh, and in the Bible in front of you. Exodus chapter 16, verse 1. They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you, the e- it gives you in the evening, meat to eat, and in the morning, bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent, 
and the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over, lay aside to be kept till the morning, as Moses commanded them. And so they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. For six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day some of the people went out together, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each one of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. And so the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna for forty years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And in case you're interested, an omer is a tenth part of an ephah. So now you know. <laughs> Great, we'll stop there. And uh, the children are going to go to their group. Uh, two groups. And um, I think Debbie and Natalie uh, Sorry? Uh, do I have to 
Is Jesse coming from there? And do we need a, a helper? No. He wants to stay. Sure. Come on. Okay. No, he wants to stay. Fine. Um, the staff can come with you to give you an extra hand. Okay, well now he's going to be taking them out and uh, we're going to be uh, looking at that passage. We've prayed, we've read, and now let's think about what that passage means. Um, and uh, we're looking at uh, Exodus chapter 16. And here's the question to start with. Uh, what do you think you need to live on? What do you think you need to live on? Uh, There's a very clever uh, psychologist called uh, Abraham Maslow. And he spoke about a hierarchy of need. There are different things you need. You need physiological things. In other words, you need bread and water to live on. You need safety. You need to experience love and a sense of belonging. You need to have a certain amount of self-confidence. And then maybe, right at the top, there's this thing that you might just put God into. If you've got uh, all those other things in place, then it may be that you might just want to look at God as a new person to aspire to, to uh, be a better person, as some people say. Well, the Bible tells us that actually there are just three things that these people need. A lot of people actually do think uh, in terms of uh, uh, Maslow and uh, uh, here's the hierarchy of need, and so therefore they said, look, I'm sorry, in fact, Pharaoh was telling us he was visiting someone today, and he said, look, I'm sorry, I, I will come to church, I'm far too busy, because basically I need to tick these boxes, and then finally, yeah, I mean, I've got a spare moment that God can get a look in. Uh, that's a Maslow life. But there's a Moses life, and a Moses life looks like this. But God says, I'm going to grow three things in you. And that is all you will need. First, joy. And we see that uh, in uh, chapter 15. They're singing in the way God brought them into a new life. Out of the old life of slavery in Egypt. And they're singing. And he's also going to grow their trust. And you see that growing in chapters 15 to 17. And uh, they'll uh, learn to uh, see how good he is and depend on him, trust him. And then the third thing that God will grow in them is obedience. Now he's going to be teaching them obedience here. You see that in chapter 16 verse 4, where God says to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people will go out and gather that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. But here's the thing to remember. Whenever the Bible talks about obedience, what it really is telling you is how God wants to grow in you a person that is like Him. Okay? Obedience means become like Him. Whenever you hear that word in the Bible, that's what it means. 
and we're going to be especially learning that when we get to chapter 20 how to be like God in our lives but uh, today we're going to be especially learning about uh, how to trust him and all those three things are important as we understand what we need to live because frankly it is possible to be a Maslow person in other words to tick all those different boxes to have your food and drink to have your uh, safety your shelter your uh, family belonging to you and you belonging to them and all the securities that you want in life and yet not to have joy trust or obedience and equally it is possible to have those three things in your life even if you don't have enough food and we're going to be seeing that today when we meet a group of people who didn't have enough food and that's where we're going to start they didn't have enough food and so therefore they were fed up we're not going to talk about trust until we look in the mirror and we see distrust the opposite of trust and you certainly see that when you look at the Israelites and you can see straight away in chapter 16 verse 2 they did not trust the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness and let me tell you that whenever we look in the Bible and we see the Israelites not trusting God they are like a mirror for us to look into because this is what Christians are like today the Christians and the Israelites have got everything in common so that in the Old Testament we saw in Exodus how the Israelites have been rescued because a substitute died to set his people free to set God's people free and for Christians uh, we have a substitute who dies to set us free it was a lamb literal lamb in the Old Testament that died to set the firstborn free and Jesus is called the Lamb of God who died to set anyone <coughs> free and we see the people of Israel in the Old Testament were there on a journey, aren't they? They're going from the land of Egypt, the land of slavery, into a new land that God had promised them. Well, the Christians are on the same journey. We had been taken out of the land of slavery, our old lives, and we're taken into the new promised place that God has for us, the eternal kingdom of Jesus, some people call heaven. And we share that same hope we shared that same past and just like them we are Muppets as well because that's what uh, they are like they are full of joy uh, in uh, chapter 15 they're singing away and then what happens three days later they run out of water and the grumbling begins and God looks after them and if you look at the last verse of chapter 15 uh, there they are, they are led by God to a place called Elim where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees and they kept there by the water 
Can you just imagine how embarrassing it would have been for them to have all this water, 12 springs, in other words, an unending supply, enough for everybody, and they're able to stay there for days after days after days. How embarrassing it would be to have all that water and to think, gosh, I doubted that God would look after me and give me water. How embarrassing. And yet they go on a few days later, and uh, so, that, so they're, they're back in Edom, and they're back in joy, and they're back with all the water and the palm trees and everything else. And then just a few days later, they go wandering along, and suddenly there's no food. And down they come again. All the joy evaporates. And now, in chapter 16, God gives them food, morning uh, food, evening food. And once more, uh, they are obviously happy, because God has looked after them again, shown them he loves them. But guess where it's going after this? If you want to cheat, you can, don't need to guess. You can have a look at chapter uh, 17, verse 2. But I'll let you cheat while I go on. Uh, it's just basically a, 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 a constant up and down progress, isn't it? God looks after them, they grumble. God looks after them, they grumble. God looks after them, they grumble. What do they ever do? Grumble. And that's how it goes on. And they certainly are in grumbling mode when he gets to chapter 16, verse 2. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Ah, oh, that awful Moses, you see. Uh, he's brought everybody out here, but there's been no advanced planning. Why didn't he think to put some rations in their bags before they left so they have something to eat? I suppose they thought and they set off that they could use some of that silver and gold that they plundered off the Egyptians to go and buy some provisions from the people that they went to in the lands that they visited on the way. <coughs> but what did Moses do? He took a wrong turning, so now they're not, they're not able to trade with anything. They, they, they've got lost, they're in a wilderness somewhere. How are they going to cope? What, what a leader they've got, doesn't know what, anything about anything. And they're not happy with God either. In fact, there's a lot of stress here about how but actually they're really grumbly against God, and they are, aren't they? I mean, it's shocking to read verse 3. They are actually accusing God of being a killer. Because they say, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord. I wish he'd killed us then, not now. This God we've got is a killer. He didn't do it then, but he's doing it now. It's a horrible thing to think about the God who's actually rescued them and given them life. But that's how they are. They wish they'd died when they were happy and had so much meat and bread to eat. Who didn't think they're kidding? They were slaves in Egypt. They had nothing. They were fearing for their lives. Their children were being slaughtered. And now they've got this false dream of what it used to be like in the old days. And just like them, we are distrusting Muppets as well. And we stop thanking him, and we grumble at him. And one of the things that goes through our mind, probably more often than it should, is that actually the non-Christians have a better life than we have. But we were back in Egypt, when God wasn't so close, and then we could have had a better life than we are having now. That's the story 
of distrust. But then we're going to learn about how God deals with them when he grows trust. And in verse 4, he doesn't do what you'd expect him to do, which is to give them up. What he does instead in verse 4 is he gives them food. This is amazing grace. No one would have blamed God if he said, right, that's it, I've had enough. It doesn't seem to do anything else apart from grumble at me. Now, okay, that's it, cut me out. No, God gives them what they don't deserve. Amazing grace. And he does that to grow trust in, in them. That's why he says in verse 4 that he's testing them whether we walk in his law or not. But whether you walk in God's law or not is entirely dependent on one thing and that is on whether you trust him. And that's what God is testing. And so he tells them, he shows them, he grows trust by showing how they can be looked after by him day after day after day. He tells them every day he will look after them. So therefore you don't have to stash anything away. You don't need to keep manna overnight. What they do? Distrust takes over again. And in verse 20, they keep it and it bred worms and stank. That's just a, a little colourful way of describing how rank life is when we don't trust God and we obey him. Life breeds worms and stinks. That's a great picture of what distrust is like. And then he tells them to collect twice as much on the sixth day, so they don't need to go out on the seventh day. And the big deal here is that God is making them like him. And it's what God does. He rests on the seventh day, and he says, I want you to be like me. This is what obedience is all about. Be like me. Enjoy rest. And as he rests on the seventh day, he leads them to rest, to be like him. And again, unlike the worms and the smell, this is a lovely picture of what it's like when we do trust God. And we obey him. We become like him. But no, on the seventh day, there are some people who still go looking in verse 27. But of course they don't find much. And in all this, I think, there are two little angles on trust that are worth spotting. The first is that trust is something God asks you to do only for one day. Only for one day. That's as long as God wants you to trust him. Now, I get frightened by situations that could happen uh, in the future. Uh, I imagine what might go wrong. And I begin to worry. And I need to remind myself that trust is, is just all I, all I have to do is to trust for one day. And I don't need to worry about what happens if. God doesn't give us 
grace for ifs and maybes. God gives us grace for one day. That's what Jesus taught his disciples. If you look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, it's the last verse of Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Just trust me today. And tomorrow, it's my worry, says Jesus. You have got grace for today. And tomorrow you will get another parcel of grace, but it won't come until tomorrow. Trust is just a one-day thing. But if you want to grow trust, then I suppose in some ways you can look back on the fact that it was a 40-year thing. What they're asked to do at the end of chapter 16 is to take some of that manna and put it in a jar and place it before the Lord in verse 33. Now they put it before the Lord not so that God can see it and remind himself to be good, they place it before the Lord so that whenever they go before the Lord, they have evidence of his goodness in front of them. And that is how God is to be remembered, by going in and seeing how good he is, whenever they are before him. And there are rubbish ways to uh, try and remind yourself what God is like. One of the most rubbish ways to see what God is like is to stick pictures of him. So I go into houses and I see pictures of Jesus. And I go into churches and I see pictures of Jesus. That's a rubbish way to remember what God is like. He never asks us to do that. He tells us not to, in fact. But what he does say to them is, put this evidence of my goodness in front of you. So you can see how for 40 years I, let my, I did not let my people down. For 40 years, day after 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 day, I cared for them. Do you think you might just trust me for one day? And so he gives them that evidence. It's not quite the same for us. Um, but I think if you wanted to uh, grow a trust, just uh, remember the lifelong evidence that God has given you that will help you to say, I'm going to trust God for one day. Uh, stick families, pictures of, pictures of your family on the wall, uh, pictures of uh, uh, the other things that God has given you on the wall, even stick pictures of your church family on the wall. Uh, just remind you. That over all the years God has looked after you, do you think you could trust him for one day? It's what he wants you to do today. Tomorrow. Just another day. Well, what can we learn from all this? Uh, I want to suggest that uh, uh, the world breaks down into two groups of people. Uh, you get the people who essentially think along the lines of uh, Maslow. 
In other words, you need a certain amount of hierarchy of need, and when you've got this in place, and you've got your house in place, and you've got your security in place, uh, finally there might be a day when you have some time for God. That's a Maslow person. And ultimately that is not a Christian person. But Moses will tell you that if you are one of God's people, then the wonderful discovery you get is that God will grow in you joy and trust and obedience even when all the other boxes are not ticked. And it is possible to tick all those boxes and not to have any joy. Not to have any trust, instead to have worry. Of course you worry if you are the only one in charge of your survival. And of course you will have no obedience, you have no shape to your life. And so therefore it is important, isn't it, to come to God tonight, to be one of his people, so that he can grow joy and trust and ultimately godliness through obedience in you. Come and ask God to do that, to grow joy, to grow trust, and to grow obedience so you might be like him in his ways. Ask God to do that for you tonight before you go home. It may be that you are someone who uh, has been to church lots, and uh, you might even call yourself a believer. But friends, we aren't really, are we? And we need to look into the mirror of the Bible and to see that very often we are more unbelievers than we are believers. And the cold water of humility is really good for us. Because what it helps us to do is to marvel at God's amazing grace for Muppets like us who don't trust Him. And we'll only realize that when we look in the mirror and see that that is exactly what we're like. Or it may be that you're someone who understands full well that we worry more than we trust. And you say, well, what is the lesson? What can I learn tonight? I want to suggest that as learning point is simply this, that trust is a, a one-day thing. And it helps us when we put in front of our eyes lifelong evidence of the wonderful ways that God has helped us. If he, we look back and see how God has helped us day after day after day after day after day, do you think one more day is going to be all right? God's kept these people going day after day after day for 40 years. Where we just sung happy birthday before we started this sermon to someone who's been twice around that clock. <laughs> Remember God's faithfulness over a lifetime. And you be faithful for one more day. And let's pray for God's help as we seek to do that. So let me ask you if you're uh, someone, we have a, a minute of quiet, and if you're someone who's new, ask God 
to grow those three things. If you're someone who is uh, uh, experienced in church, uh, learn humility. Learn what an unbeliever we offer now, so we can marvel afresh at God's amazing grace and that he gives us food rather than gives us up. And then lastly, I ask God to help you to trust him, one day at a time, looking back on all his goodness. Let's have a moment of quieter, a minute, and then I'll pray, and then we'll take some questions uh, or comments that you might like to make. Let's keep quiet first. We've had our minute, let me pray, and then we'll uh, talk together. Our Father in heaven, we, we don't think straight. We often think that we need other things before we have time for you. We really are so up and down, mainly down, in our trust. So please will you help us to trust you today, because you have looked after us for many days. And we see that in the Lord Jesus. And we pray that you will help us to be like you. By trusting you in order that we might obey all you command. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.